You're welcome on in. This is Enswell Boxing. I'm Al, and this is... Modus Operandi. Each episode focuses on one of the four finalists, and we try to tell the story, the real story, of the men behind the gloves. So let's kick it all off with that lovable Liverpool lad, Jazza Dickens, in episode one of Modus Operandi. And you are, of course, very welcome on in. As we step away from the familiar weekly format for a short series of episodes that'll see us roll towards the September 30th Golden Contract Finals, Super Lightweights of Tyrone McKenna and O'Hara Davis, and the Featherweights Jazza Dickens and Ryan Walsh. Now, most of you will know that I like to try and do things a little bit different. Rather than do all the predictions and all the usual podcast content, I'm trying to go a little bit left of field without going too far out. Just looking at what, what makes up these fellas. What, what, what's gone into their arriving at this point in their career where um, they now have an opportunity to change everything and all around not just their career but around their lives and for their families and their loved ones. In these four fellas, you'll find a lot of similar traits but you'll find also that they're so very, very much different. Each of them have their own unique style, their own way of preparing. They've got their own unique teams. And they've come to this point in their career, as I said, all along different paths, different routes, different ways. And you'll hear that as we get along. You're also going to hear the analysis, the insight, the experience of Ireland's middleweight prize fighter champion, former Commonwealth gold medalist, European bronze medalist, Eamon King Kane. Eamon, of course, is a, a, a hugely well-known and, well, and hugely popular fighter that I had on pod, on the podcast um, around, around the middle of last year or so and kept in touch with him. And he's always, always been more than generous with his thoughts and his advice and his guidance. So who better to ask and who better to hear from as we talk about winning career-changing competitions and catapulting your career then forward from that. So look forward to listening to the King Kane as we progress through the episodes. I've also, in an effort to stop you from getting bored, listen to this same old voice, these same old thoughts, and the same old opinions all the time. I've called in a few other helpers. A fellow that you're well used to seeing and hearing on YouTube and in a visual capacity is, of course, Stephen Merton of Boxing Tickets Northern Ireland. Stephen is going to join me to have a look at. Of course, he's going to focus on the, um, the episode where we talk with Tyrone McKenna. And as far as the Golden Contract, MTK, and the careers and futures of many of the current young crop of Irish professional fighters goes, guidance, advising, and everything else, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome the Vice President of MTK, Belfast Finest, the Mexican himself, Jamie Conlon. So you can look forward to all of that and a little bit more as we get into it. I want to give a very big special mention and a big shout out to the main man, Ali McKenzie in Sideline Films up there in Belfast on yet another blockbuster, a cracker. If you have not seen the short documentary of When Boxing Ends on uh, True North on BBC One, get along and get a look at it. It is incredible. Ali my hat is off, man. It's off. You've done it. You've done it again. And uh, it's an absolute... It's just... It encaptures everything that's wonderful about this great sport. And I don't want to be... A, I, there's no... There'll be no spoilers, no nothing else. Just all I can say is, and I can't stress it enough, it'll be the best 30 minutes you've watched before the fights in God knows how long. 
if you're a real boxing enthusiast. So again, Ali, massive credit to you and and, and to all the fellas. And it's a little a little bit of a I, I don't want to say patting my own back, but it feel makes me feel very good to be able to say that I spoke with more than half the fellas on that documentary and they are absolute diamonds. They're the realest, ruggedest uh, I'm struggling for words here. Get along, have a look at it, enjoy it, love it for what it is. And Ali, again, massive, massive well done to you. And I'm going to stay with this positive attitude, the mindset and the adjustment. I'm keeping away from the doom and gloom that saw most of us over the last few weeks or months. No mention of any of that, none of it. It's, it's, it's seen most of us over the last few weeks and months at varying times dip a little bit below where we like to be with our outlook and everything else. Since that last episode with D Walsh, which I gotta say a huge thanks to everybody as well, it has soared incredibly. And again, this morning I wake up and I look at it, look at just to see how everything is going, see where I'm at before I get my moving forward shoes on, have a look and see. It's still climbing, it's still getting downloaded at this point the following week. So just a, a huge thank you to all, huge thanks to D, and a huge thanks to everybody who took time to get in touch. Um, it, I'm a little bit behind on my YouTube uploads on three episodes to be honest but I'll get on that and switching to this current episode and this series Golden Contract concept it captured my imagination when I heard it first and I think to say most sports fans when it's announced especially boxing fans when it was announced there was something about a sports tournament it's framed in a in a good time frame, not not like the super series, the the super middleweights a few years ago, where it went on for almost indefinitely. Uh, I think when it's framed and there's a time frame on it, you look at the likes of the World Cup, European Championships, Wimbledon, the Commonwealth Games, the Irish Elite Finals, and even the greatest show on earth, the Olympics. I it captures the imagination, it holds people's attention, it gets people talking, and what MTK have done here is they've taken a group of fighters who are supremely, incredibly talented, incredibly entertaining in their own ways and different ways, and they've brought them together to guarantee them, the fighters, regular fights, if they keep winning, regular dates, and a very real life-changing prize. All the factors that a boxer needs, but doesn't always get, to bring out the best in himself. And if he can't do that, and he doesn't do that, you'll hear... At varying points in the in the uh, series, you'll hear Jazza, you'll hear Ryan, you'll hear them say, "If I can't do it now, I'm not good enough." It's brutal, it's honest, but it's real. And when you look at what we've got right up to now, in each of our finalists, they've surpassed their best performances. They've reset their best, but they've got one fight left, one big night under the lights, one night where the eyes of the boxing world, the sporting world, will be on them. That one night that every young fighter dreams of, where he can step into that ring with the lights and everything on him and take it all away with him. How special must that be? My idea for this series, I guess, started... (laughs) It started at 2.17am on a Tuesday night four weeks ago. I was after having sad, bad, awful news was missing loved one I just had terrible news I was I, yeah I was I was I was sitting I was thinking I was planning I was wondering how to navigate just just what was coming I knew what was coming a rough couple of weeks and I went over as tends my brain tends to work in the most scrambled ways at times 
And in the middle of all of that, trying to plan, an idea comes, hmm, golden contract. I wonder could we do something without that? So I scribbled it down. And I went away and I came back, maybe a week later. And I started to flesh out the bones of it a little bit. And I thought, maybe I could get one of the finalists. Maybe we could get two of the finalists. And then, it of course grew legs. And it is what it is right now. And I gotta say again, it surprised me. It's It's been a pleasure to speak with the finalists, to speak with the coaches. And you decide what you think of this. Let me know. Anybody that's not familiar, or doesn't remember... Prize Fighter was a tournament run by Matchroom Boxing uh, in the mid-noughties, early to mid-noughties. I I believe that it was responsible in a large way for the revival of boxing in small hall shows in the UK. Now again, small hall shows preempted and preceded, of course, the stadium fights that we got so spoilt and um, used to seeing over the last few years, pre current climate the format was very simple they selected a weight division and they picked some of the better known the best known well known fighters in each division on the domestic scene and they entered them into the competition on the night it was run in one night there was three fights three rounds in each fight and the winner takes all and it was to bring exposure prestige and pretty much launched the careers of many of the winners uh, Irish boxers had some huge success in the prize fighter series. We had, of course, Big Rogie, Martin Rogan won the heavyweights in Belfast. We had uh, Willie Casey, Big Bang himself. And we had my next guest. Eamon O'Kane represented Ireland all around the world. He he won pretty much everywhere he went. He represented Northern Ireland at the Commonwealth Games and in, took a gold medal, of course, in Delhi, beating Anthony Ogogo in the, in the 2010 final. He was late... By, I suppose you could say he was late turning professional. Um, he was 28 by, when he went when he eventually turned over. But he acquitted himself admirably. He won the prize fighter in 2012 and set up some incredible fights, some incredible nights. And amongst those, and amongst his highest achievements, I would say bringing professional boxing back to his beloved County Derry in 2015 has to rank up there with them all. Eamon was my guest in 2019, himself and the coach. Big shout out to Paddy Fitzpatrick. And uh, we've kept in touch ever since. He's given me advice anytime I've asked. He's given me solid, honest feedback. And it was a real pleasure to be able to invite him back onto the podcast to give me some, just to give us his, his, his memories and his experience of what each of the fighters might face. And of course, of course, his, uh, his lifelong boxing pal and I'm, I'm assured by himself and Tyrone that they consider each other almost as family at this stage. So, brilliant to have Eamon back. And here I ask him a question about the, the format of the Golden Contract. While it's different, it's still a, it's a, still a tournament environment. It's still a tournament feel. It's a tournament with a huge, huge prize at the end of it. So I asked Eamon, does that tournament environment bring a different pressure, an added pressure, or any at all? As you say, it has its similarities. Um, as in, it's got your, you've got your draw, your quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. Um, but to me, it's, you know, prize fighter as a night was really mentally draining because you're focused on one opponent. You get your draw, you're focused on one opponent. You were winning that fight, you were going back to change rooms, you weren't taking off your gloves around your gear. 
and you were getting sort of warmed up again back into a fight, fighting a different opponent, different style. Now they've got the similar thing, only they've got like three months or whatever period of time it is between that. So, yes, my night, the prize fighter night was definitely very mentally draining, very mentally awarding because I won it and it was definitely boosted on my career. And obviously this is doing the same for them. They won it and they won again three fights, three wins and, as I say, creating their profile. But it's over such a long period of time. So the one that's nearly the mentally strongest possibly is the one that's going to win this fight. And obviously with 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 Tyrone, Tyrone's my buddy. So um, he was part of this, the, the as we call ourselves, the Northern Ireland High Performance Crowd. Um, he definitely was uh, one of the characters of the, of the team. As you've seen him on, on online doing bits and pieces of dancing and his, yep. his training camp, which he, he can't dance to save himself. Don't God bless him. <laughs> but uh, he, he loves he loves to give it a go. And um, he was definitely a character. And he's definitely, he was part of our, our, our clan. But it's definitely an interesting fight. Um, and he's had a few close, tough fights. They're going to be very mentally draining for him, as I say, similar to Pride Fighter. But different and that got such a long time to prepare for each fight. But it's going to be a, it's an interesting fight that between him and him and Ahara Davis because um Ahara Davis looked to be seen like the more powerful character. Throne has the longer reach than that, but doesn't usually likes to get into a fight. So it's gonna definitely be an entertaining fight. I think he's with a very good coach, Pete Taylor, and Pete Taylor uh, I'll definitely hopefully be telling him to to outbox him because Tyrone could totally outbox him. He's got the reach, he's got the ability, he's got the talent to do it. Um, just don't get bogged into the fight. Don't get caught up in that in that mind game, the, that, the camaraderie that goes on between the two of them, that, that's as if they're going to kill each other. Don't get caught up in that and I would like him to outbox him. But um, I think a hard Davis definitely is, is talented and he's got the power, cause a lot of problems. But is he over-talented? No. Is he, is he over-complicated? No. So, there's 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 pros and cons to both of them. I think Throne could do with tighten up his defence because he, he, he gets and if he gets caught one of the big shots, Ahara could definitely put you away. So um as I say, the similarities there between prize fighter and the fight definitely you know, the, I had that my prize fighter, I had me and Anthony Fitzgerald mm. had quite a bit of banter among each other and wind <laughs> up on hard to keep that sort of emotion that sort of spoiled over into the fight. The fight sort of got the boxing went out the window. What about that for words of wisdom and experience and insight from a man who has been there and done it in pretty much every scenario? You're going to hear a lot from Eamon over the four episodes in this series. And uh, not to not to reiterate, but I pinch myself a little bit sometimes a lot to be able to connect, to be able to lean into these fellas who have just a wealth of experience first-handed at that level. And and Eamon from the jump, from the very first day I've spoken to him until right up until the other night, and, and I can assure you what I've recorded is, is probably not even half of the length of time we spoke and we chatted and name, dot, name, joining dots and just uh, Eamon reminiscing and remembering. I, I don't know if he thanks me for it or not, but he certainly, uh, at, the, at, the, at the end of the call, was uh, it reminded him just how much he loves and misses boxing, so... The final word on Eamon for now from his old coach, Paddy Fitzpatrick, was the wide-eyed warrior. There's not enough wide-eyed warriors in the game right now today. You will hear plenty more from Eamon over the, the, la- the next three episodes. But turning now to the main focus of this one, and just to give you a, a, a synopsis, because there's, there's a lot in Jazz's path, his career, his life, and the journey, if you like. 
that's taken him to where he is today, this week, six days out from the biggest fight of his life. 2011, he turned pro. He had seven fights in that year. He had six fights the following year, 2012, and he won the British Super Bantamweight title in 2013. He's what I like to call the new wave of fighters. He keeps busy. There's none of this fight disappear for six months, another fight disappear for another four. He keeps busy. He's in the gym. He's constantly in the gym. And you'll hear him say here that win, lose or draw any fight, he makes it his business. It's his tradition to be in the gym the next day. That's a little bit special by any man's standards. 2016, Jazza Dickens took the fight that nobody else will take. Nobody wanted to step in with the feared Cuban stylist Guillermo Rigondo. And for good reason. I witnessed Rigo's wizardry at first hand in City West all those years ago when he demolished poor old Willie Casey. And um, it's, it's, he, was, he was avoided like the plague. He was. He was undefeated at the time. But Jazza took the fight. And there was a lot of ridicule in certain departments. The same departments that would have... They'd ridicule everything, let's face it. Yeah. Uh, he took the fight and he fought. He approached the fight, not the occasion, admirably. And he started well. Started as well as anybody could against somebody of Rigo's status. But disaster struck in that he, he, he got a broken jaw in the first round and he was out for almost 12 months. Most fellas, most humans, would come back to a couple of warm-up fights, maybe a tune-up here or there, just, just to get themselves back in the groove. No, 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 no. True Jazzy Dickens style, he came back to a British Super Bantamweight title fight with Thomas Patrick Ward, which ended in bizarre fashion also. Ended up as another loss on his record, and those two... Back-to-back losses, I guess, signified the longest stretch out of the ring for Jazza. He took a little bit of time. He went on the road. He went learning. He went maturing, growing, and eventually went full circle, which took him all the way back to his hometown, lovely Liverpool. He's training under Derry Matthews, the ageless wizard Georgie Vaughan, and they've put it all together. Seven wins on the bounce, picking up the IBF, the WBO, Super Featherweight titles, the European Featherweight title, and he turned in a truly spectacular performance in the Golden Contract semi-final. Now, I don't like overstating, and I don't, I'm not much to go in for wows and oohs and ahs. I'll do it, I'll do it. But for it to really be true and to really mean something, you've got to watch that semi-final against Lee Wood. Because let's face it, Lee Wood was a feared opponent going into that draw. Jazza took him on, and he systematically took him apart in that fight. And that's not to be disingenuous, to be disrespectful to Lee Wood, because he fought a gallant... He fought a super fight. In any other night, he probably would have been able to... How he managed to stay up at times, but then was able to bite, battle his way back. It was a really, really great fight. It was one that really entertained everybody there. And as if it wasn't already a spicy enough dish, tasty enough morsel for everyone to watch and absorb, it had Jazz's eventual final opponent, ringside commentating, and did a cracking job too, might I admit. Ryan Walsh was there to pour, throw his eye over it and you will hear Ryan in the next episode another fantastic fella another brilliant brilliant real world fella you're going to hear Ryan in the next episode but we'll get to that now if I'm being honest I lost track of Jazza a couple of years ago um, of course I knew he had fought Rigo I knew what had happened with the broken jaw and I just I didn't I didn't know much if anything about him after that and I didn't until this draw-off was made and the golden contract was announced. Uh, I kind of had that, oh yeah, remember, oh cool, great character, you know, good boxer too, would be all I could say before I did my research, before I looked into it. And then, of course, we saw the draw. And then we saw the semi-final. 
and it was it was it was one of those holy shit moments in boxing where this guy put everything together all the good all the bad and there's been some bad bad luck and he put it all together into a pot and he mixed it all up and he came up with a, a, a formula for a sensational performance in the semi-final of the Golden Contract against Lee Wood. Everybody favoured Lee Wood. The bookies were insulting him with the rates and the bets, the odds they were given. But as usual, bookies have no input, no influence whatsoever on the outcome of boxing. So, he ends up in the final and he faces another guy who you'll hear from in the next episode who is equally as colourful and equally as, as lively and equally as nice. So I had no expectations when I went in as I never never have when I go in to speak to anybody. So when I did spend an hour on the phone with Jazza one day as I said before on the podcast it was, the, it was on the back of a rough run things hadn't been the best had been feeling dragging my arse a little bit if I'm being honest I was down in the dumps things just hadn't been they just were blah I think it's the best you could say they were blah but I can tell you this much the day I spoke to the, to Jazza and the day I went away things were blah no more I found them to be an odd wonderful mixture of everything he's nice he's humble he's genuine He's tough. He's brutally honest. Self-deprecating a little bit. Uh, but he has a hunger and a drive and a determination. And uh, it's all kind of bound together then with his, his strong faith, his belief in God. But an unbelievable love. You could almost, I don't know if you're going to be able, and, and it's something I'm trying to do very much in my interview style when I speak with people, is to bring out that trait, to bring out that personality to bring out whatever the strength is and in this, it's a love, it's a warmth it's a giddy, silly, funny just an all round lovely fella and I think that's the best way I can describe my findings of of Jazzy Dickens and because we're at the final stages of the competition, many will forget that the the draws were made what, eight, nine months ago for the first rounds so I started off by reminding Jazza that prior to fight camp, prior to all the current climate, prior to everything, it was the golden contract got many boxing fans excited because we had a couple of Irish fighters involved in it, Davy Oliver, we had Tyrone McKenna, Tyrone McCullough, Stevie Ward, we've had a few. So I reminded them that it was golden contract that got a lot of people excited and got this current frenzy for boxing started and, and what his thoughts on that were. I think one day I will look back and say the same, but for for right now I don't want to go too far into it because I don't want that to be my greatest night. Do you know what I mean? I've got a great night ahead of me, and I need to be the best I can be. So I'm trying to I'm trying to um, put that at the back of my mind for right now. But it was it was a great time. I think at the time I look back and I think it was probably one of the best nights of my boxing career. You know the way when you're watching the fights over the years and you know the story and you know the fellas and you know the then when you actually sit down and you join the dots and it's like oh look there and there is where you went from that one and there's where you went from that one and every adversity had maybe three or four positives which is a real trend in your story it's amazing mate yeah we don't talk about that though do we <laughs> we don't we look at that and we think oh it was such a downer I know yeah. this sounds real cheesy at times but without some of those downers you would never have had the highs that you're really looking forward to now would you of course I'm walking down the street people say to me you know when's your next fight and 
and I tell them, and then the next conversation is, oh, I seen you, I seen your last fight, and I think, oh, did yeah, but most of the time, it's not my last fight, it's the one I lost, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the one you lose, that's, that's always the conversation, but after the Lee Wood fight, it's always been like a senior last fight against Lee Wood, but before that, it's always been like a senior world title fight, or a senior loser business title fight. <laughs> So that's mostly the negative conversation. That ties in perfectly with them stopping you and saying, when's your next fight made? When is it? Even if they have it a little bit wrong, the fact that they're recognising you and embracing you, it must be amazing for you. It's amazing, you know. No, if, I, no if I'm walking down, or say if I'm jogging, or say if I'm walking down, I could be walking down the street and somebody I don't know, I've never seen in my life, I'm not expecting them to shout. If somebody shouts in the street, you look, don't you have to see what they're shouting at? But sometimes people shout, people just shout, good luck, jazz. And I don't even know them, it's amazing, you know what I mean? It's a city as jazz. It can't really be pigeonholed. Of course, it's famous for football. You're a blue. You're well known for being a blue fan. Your your best days are really coming with, with Ancelotti and everything ahead. But there's boxing. There's music. There's culture. It's just a, it's one of those very special cities, isn't it? I yeah, uh, I I think so. Something special happening in the city too as well. Right now at the minute, there's like a, a not a health kick. It's a spiritual awakening sort of thing. I don't know if you you follow many people on social media, but right now in the city, everyone's talking about. Being being healthy in the mind, not not going to gym, not talking about going to gym and dieting. I'm talking about the, like um, spiritual kick. Everything's going like I'm talking about spirituality and they're talking about. There's an awakening, really, isn't there? Yeah, an awakening. I don't know if that's everywhere, but I can feel it right now in Liverpool. Mate, I agree with you. I had my awakening about four years ago. From that day till this, I stopped. I looked at everything. I took everything in my life apart. Without that happening. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now and I wouldn't be living the way I'm living it. I think that's an amazing story. What you just told me there, Mita, it was nice to hear it. But yeah, we have to we have to see these we have to be have to be it with the with the truth sometimes, don't we? We can be pigs, can't we? We're just selfish pigs most of the time. Thinking about us, thinking about what what we need, our needs and, and our life is and how we want it to be, blah blah blah. Whether you can just, just be grateful for what we have got and give. That that's the love I think that's the good thing about life. You can just give and give and give and give. And, and just always you never lose the love of that could have ended in such a way but it didn't so it was meant to send me in another direction if you make if, if you understand what I'm saying to you it was, it was almost meant to happen you know yeah unbelievable I, I, I am I am religious I have a I have a God of my own understanding and I believe I was chosen because on my will alone the, the damage I've done in my own life without the will of God um. I wouldn't have ever, I was too egotistical and too selfish to think about anything else but myself. But I, I believe when it comes to my spirituality, I was chosen in that in that sense. So I feel very blessed not to be able to follow the Lord that I follow, but also to be chosen to follow him. It all adds into the amazing mix and the story that brought Jazza Dickens to where we're at right now. But starting off on that journey, growing up in Liverpool, how was it? Was it was it the same now? Has it changed a lot? Is it? What are your memories of it? I can't speak too much about my life without going into deep stuff with the faith and stuff like that because it, um, it never started out as a positive story for me. It always seemed like boxing took over my life because boxing was the best thing that came into my life. Therefore, I swapped around life and boxing. So boxing became life and my life became secondary to boxing because there weren't much positive going on. I had loved ones around me, but in terms of what I was seeing in real life, my existence and, and my perception of life, it wasn't. It wasn't good, and boxing was really, really good, and boxing treated me well. So, I started out on a bit of a resentful journey. Um, egotistical as a child, resentful. I'll show them, chip on my shoulder, and just throughout the years, it, it got easier and easier. I met good people. Um, you know who they are. There's too many to to 
mention here, but I just met good person after good person after good person. I tried to take on their traits and I tried to be a better person, just be like them, be like me. My mum and dad, who was very loving towards me, and before I knew it, I, I, and then, then, then I fell in love with God, and then, and then my journey became about love. Then, and I tried to inspire and give back, and and that's my journey. So it started out as a very dark, resentful, um, painful journey, and now it's just a journey of love and hope and inspiration. Was that a gradual reckoning, uh, Jazza? That was, a, a, or did that happen? Did it just it dawn on you? Did was there an event? Yeah, well, you can pinpoint a few a few moments, can't you? But most of it was just gradual. I think that's how we we don't change overnight, do we? We can't change. So I think it was just a gradual thing. But constantly being around boxing gyms, as you said before, is that there's there's no divide between anything from any race or any anything at all. There's we're all the same, aren't we? So being around that helped me out a lot. Then going to box for my country, traveling the world. We don't change overnight. I 100% agree. If it's a true change and a real change, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a series of discoveries and, and happenings every day. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I think we have awakening. Don't we can have an awakening and we say, wow, something's just clicked. The penny drops, but also... I think in most situations that it just happens, doesn't it? You look back and you reflect and you say, do you remember I was like that? Bloody hell. From those early days, what was the dream for the young jazzer? I went to the gym on day one. I was 12, nearly 13. And I said, I'm going to be world champion. There was a picture of John Conti on the wall. And I said, I'm going to be I'm going to be the next scouter to have the WBC world title. I went. Uh, Callum Smith and Tony Bellew have won it since. Um, but I always that, that that's been my dream. I said I'm gonna be. Well, I actually used to say I'm gonna be heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody that wonders why we're laughing, uh, just uh, Jazza is now um, on 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 a, when he's on a soaking soaking wet on a, on a Christmas day after and six months not training. I wouldn't say he'd make nine stones. So heavyweight is not gonna happen, mate, is it? Yeah. So I just gotta hold on to the champion of the world scout, you know. <laughs> I'm never going to be everywhere champion of Wales and it's hard to reach <laughs> Well, mate, listen, before we go any further, you're a champion of Liverpool, you're a champion of your people. So, I mean, that in itself is priceless and you're on the verge of making it world. So, I think those boxes as we go along, people are going to see them being ticked. But, I mean, John Conti, wow. And the, and the next man that you mentioned after that, now to be in your corner, on your side, to have inspired a generation, to inspire me, Tony Bellew. I mean, you're keeping serious company there, mate. I know, I'm very lucky every day, I know how much I'm blessed, and I say thank you, Jesus. I shout it out loud, I'm going to shout it out, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> every day I'm blessed, you know, I just say to myself, how you've ended up in this situation is is a metaphor, you know, from the situation I was I was once in as a child, which I don't even remember anymore. I have to go deep with inside myself to remember how it was back then, to think the way it is now, I've got... Let's just put boxing to the side for one minute, I've got, I've got a partner with three kids, you know what I mean? Thank you, Jesus. I'm just so, so lucky to be to be living the life the life I'm living. And so I was talking to my mate this morning about having a passion. If you can get up and you can go and do something that you love and you can also make a living from this. By the time you left the amateurs behind, you travelled the world, you'd won your ABAs. The style that the jazz that anyone, I suppose, if we were to pinpoint it, is it's high octane, it's full of energy, it's in and out, it's southpaw, it's tricky, it's awkward. Was the next step always going to be the professional game? Well, that was my first step in my mind, but there was the only one way to get there was to get good experience as an amateur. You know, I used to watch the, um, the professionals and I used to look at the shoulders, how the shoulders would be defined and and how do you fight with no top on. I used to I used to 
love watching them and, and the old footage and, and just see how they moves and I love the way they boxing. And I always said, that's, I'm definitely going to turn professional one day. I just don't know how. I don't know anybody who's gone before me. I didn't know how to do it. I just knew I had a, I had a dream. And um, everywhere it turns, every, every street I went down, there was someone at the end directing me in another way. And thank you to all them people who, who helped me. The shoulders were so much browner. There were so much more torque in them. And, and even if, as I said, when we talk about footballers, they played on pitches that hadn't got any grass on it at the best of times, but there was so much more physically from the waist down. I remember I had a video, a little, um, remember Portable, um, Portable DVD players came out? Yes, yeah, I do, yeah. I had one of them and I said, Mum, look at this, look at this, Mum. And I remember showing her the fighter. I think it was, um, I think it was... His name slipped me anyway. I remember looking at the video and saying, "Look, look at the V in the shoulder. Not only the shoulder comes into the bicep." Yeah, I remember. I'm gonna have that one day, Mum. <laughs> and she's looking at you. You're about two foot. She's thinking, "Yes, son, you are." <laughs> Perfect segue as well. You talk about your your amateur and and your ethic, your work ethic. There's been a lot of things constant, but that's one of them. You took that amateur work ethic and amateur hunger. You took that in fighting ten times in your first fifteen months as a pro. That was the good days. They were very very good days because. Um, not only was it, you know, I, I didn't look too much into the money side of it because I remember the first night I got paid and, and it was like, wow, I'm getting paid now. It was a surprise. I got a wage back and I said, what's that? To Stephen Vaughan. Stephen Vaughan came in when there's your wages and I, and I thought, what is it? And I, and I realised, oh, yeah, I get paid now. So that was a nice part of it. But being so active and, and so busy and travelling and getting all the sparring, it was all, most of the good work was done in the gym. So, so you know, yeah. I had the current British champions at the time. It was like Rendell Monroe. He was my first professional sparring. Rendell Monroe, Scott Quigg, um, Barbara Carthamson when I was coming through, uh, when he was coming up. So it was, it was I, all, all them little travellings and all them little outings there, special moments, you know, that you look back on and you say, that's where it's at, all the little things that people don't see. A little step back again as well to go into to full geek mode here. Your early matches, you were, you were matched really, really competitively and tough. Fellas like Chuck Jones, Barry Brown, Barrington Brown, they, they were fellas that were, yeah, yeah, they were what they were. They were there, they were the away fighter, but they weren't going to go too easy, were they? I do know what you're saying. Chuck Jones, he actually went to Commonwealth Games with me. Did you Commonwealth Games just three years early for me for, really? for Wales, for Wales, and then we fighting them on I think it was something like this, my fourth pro or something like that for professional fights. He actually fought John Quigley on his first professional fight. I think Chuck must have agreed to go on the road or something. But me, John Quigley, and Chuck Jones all went to the same Commonwealth Games together, and we fought each other within the space of a few months. They're tough away fighters who were, as I said, they came and gave everything they were. And if you weren't at your best, Jazza, you were going to be in trouble. And I think that's the best compliment. And those fights, to me, when I look now at your career, particularly at the latter points of it, they're the ones I think that are sticking to you and standing out the most, are they? Really good times. And I was with Steve Woods at the time. He was a great manager for me. Steve Woods was a really, really good manager. And at the time, I didn't appreciate him. You know, I left him um, after I got, uh, think of all, got, got, got me through a British title and I left him. And it was one one thing that I, I wish I could make an amends to Steve. I, I wish I wish I could do it again um, in the way that I'd done it. And um, yeah, uh, Steve, Steve Woods done a lot for me at the time. I was also promoted by Ricky Atten. So yeah, it was good days, really good days. These things happen, Jazz, as you know better than most. And and what makes us, I suppose, and what makes what makes us more true and makes us more respected is that we can look at stuff and say, "Oh, I was wrong." And I, I've, I'm something I've got really good at that 
used to be alien to me was to say I, I shouldn't have done that or I, I need to fix that or I need to go back so never say never mate you, and especially in this boxing game you just don't know what look 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 at how, how Bellew and Hay and how Chisora and Hay and everything worked out in the end so you just never know do you yeah I think it's so important to recognise your faults as well as your strengths isn't it because you just you you know you've got I think it's I just believe it's important to acknowledge all of your traits not just your good ones if you can live if you can keep that one thing in your mind alone I suppose that in itself is going to add to it isn't it definitely I, I, everywhere I go it's like I asked for a little bit of advice just yesterday I was in Jamie Moore's gym and I was asking him about the end of his career I said what was it like Jay for you uh, coming towards the end did you know it was going to be the end how did you feel if you thought you were going to be retiring not that I'm at that level but I just like that, that type of story and I, I also like because I feel good myself now I like to ask people did you know when you were in your peak and stuff like that and you just give great advice some humble humble advice you know and it was great it'll always stick with me so it's, it's so important for young fighters to also ask a lot of questions I'm in the gym with Georgie Vaughan and Georgie Vaughan can tell me stories about my granddad when they were kids you know what I mean wow. <laughs> Georgie Vaughan told me something about my, my, my nana the other day that I never knew, you know what I mean, what my mum doesn't know. So it's just, and he can talk and talk and talk about boxing. His family goes back to the 1800s when it comes to promotional side. The first, the first, um, he was telling me about the first black British champion. And I, and we got it up and he went, no, 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 that wasn't the first black British champion. He was a, he was in, um, before the British belt was out, there was another one, and my family promoted them, and we searched them, and it was true, do you know what I mean? So, you think you know everything. He, the, the first big step up for you, mate, was um, Kid Galahad. And throughout your career, you, you've shown flashes. There's been signs of, of a little bit of that natural flow, slick, discipline, a little bit of dog, a little bit of everything that you need to be the top land, the top level. When you look at it then compared to now, they were only coming in flashes and thought always was for someone looking at it was if you could put all that together in one night for one fight, you're, you're going to get that special performance, which, which we've seen since. I've never again been the one who believes too much in losses defining fighters or making a fighter or breaking a fighter it's it's to me it's how they respond and how they respond Jazza Dickens has always bounced incredibly from from an adversity is that fair to say? Yes I would like to say, I would like to believe that myself um, where, where you're talking about not putting the putting things together the truth was that I didn't know how to put them together all I knew is I had disability inside me and I knew what I can do and I always believed in myself because because I, I, cause you know what you're capable of don't you everybody knows what, what their limits are yeah. Everybody knows what they're capable of. Some of us are disillusional. I get that. I don't believe I am. I know what my limits are. So I always believe I can do this. I can do this. I can put it together. I can string. I can string it together. Just like you're talking about. Yeah. It never happened for me until I, I joined Georgie Vaughan. That's why. That's why we're saying until of late things are happening now because. Um, yeah, I, I had great coaching at the Everton Red Triangle. It was great for the purpose, and uh, there's many things that came out of it. Um, I think you know went for for the world title. You don't do that by luck. So, um, yeah. But then I met Georgie Vaughan, and, and he taught me how to to sit down and settle down, and and to put it together, and how to be more, how to be more of a complete fighter. And that's that's where I'm at now. You know. You know, I was writing this question last night, and I was I was very conscious of wording it and asking it properly because I didn't want it to seem like it was in any way offensive but often as fans we'd sit and we'd look at a fighter and we'd look at the highlights before a fight but when you sit and you look at four, five, six, seven bunches of them together and you see oh, shit that was there then and then you see when it all came together against Lee Wood it wasn't really a surprise it was it was just a matter of putting it all together so. I appreciate that I appreciate that you're pointing that out too because without without other people's um, if I only stick to one outlook 
on, on my own career and nobody else's perspective. I'm not going to go very far, you know what I mean? And, I, I, and it's early days for me right now in, in this type of, this this work that I'm doing now and I'm putting them together. It's still early days for me. I'm still learning with George, you know what I mean? I, I am, I'm 29, but I'm still learning. It's early days, so I believe that my best days haven't even, I'm not even here yet. I'm still learning massively. And That's incredible to think you're 29, 32 fights behind you. There's not many fellas at that age with that experience. To look a little bit at the losses, it'd be disingenuous not to, two losses on the bounce, which on the face of it, if people were to read them, they'd say, oh, two in a row. When you look at them again and you break them down, there was so much more from those two, I would say the biggest changes in your career and your path have come. Yeah, definitely. I was um, I was I was at a low place when I, when I lost to Tommy Ward. Tommy Tommy, um, he boxed the head off me that night. You know what I mean? And and I was coming on late, but the, the fight got stopped for one week. Whatever whatever happened, you know. Um, Tommy beat me that night, but I was just in a, like a dark place. That I needed that. I, I look back and I mm. thank God for that loss because without that, and I, if if it does, it, without that much of a decline, I don't know if I'd ever change. You know what I mean? Because it was a it was a fast decline, and if it just kept going slowly and slowly, slowly down the hill, maybe I was I would have been it would have been too long and too far too far for me to bring it back. But because I hit the ground that night, I hit rock bottom that night, and I just I had to change. I had to do something about it, and I had to go. But I had to go back to the gym to my coach and say, look, things aren't working for me. I really wish he was because I love you. I love you as a man, yeah. and and. Things are just not working for me, so I've got to make a change. I have to do what I know is best for my career right now, and that's that's what I have to do. And I don't regret it; I would do it again. But yeah, um, I had a great, I had great years at the Everton Red Triangle. You know, I still, I still love the man. We don't speak now, but I still, I still really think of him, think highly of of the both the brothers, the Stevenson brothers. So um, I just have to go my own way. I went to America. I went to, I went travelling the world really, and just just found myself again. And then I settled back around with Georgie and, and things just really took off from there. In any level, for any man, person, to be able to look within and think, take things apart, relationships and partnerships that have been together for however long, whether it's a partner, whether it's a sport, whether it's business, it's not easy to do, but it must be very rewarding when you look at it now and you see, if I didn't do that, I probably wouldn't be boxing now. Of course, yeah. That's why I thank, that's why I thank the law for me losses because you don't, you, you're not really focused on your... On your on the dark times or the or your mistakes are you when you're winning you don't really you do focus on them of course you notice them but you put them to the back of your mind because things are nice at the time and things are going well so it takes it um, it takes it I think somebody with a bit of bottom to say I need I need to change and I also need to focus on my losses even when I want that's why I always go to the gym the next day after the fight or even that night I always think about I think look you haven't made it you haven't done nothing yet you need to you, mm. until you win even Jazza at his most honest and genuine self after that last fight and I know you don't want to get carried away because you've got a bigger night and a better performance coming again but it must have been the one night where you were able to say wow it's all clicking it's all coming together you, you could sit back and smile and think that was special because that was can I excuse my French that was fucking amazing to watch that performance everything the way it all went the way everything that he tried not been disingenuous in anything but everything he tried you you were able to head him off at the pass and match it with something better that was incredible 
thank you. I, I really appreciate that. But I'm, I, at the minute, I'm trying to, I'm trying to practice a bit of humility. I, I'm not helping you. <laughs> yeah, practice humility because I know without it, I can just destruct right away if I, if I get carried away with me ego. But what what I can say is Lee Wood was a really good fighter, and it weren't easy for me to to carry that off. And um, what what I can what I can talk about happily is. I would thank God for the win, and how he made me so strong, and and I and I, I felt like I could do anything th- through him. And I went back to the hotel that night to my girl, to my partner, and, and we defended our bit, and we did, and you know we won the belt. Another European champion now, IBO, IBO, WBO, and IBF European champion, and and just 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 to kiss it and say we. we Done it, we did us off the bookies had us bit off and and you know, thank you Jesus and we can go back home to our kids and and we and now we're in the final. With that comes the elements of financial a bit a little bit of financial security, you know what I mean? Not, not, not set for life, are we? But but we could say, Yeah, we can we can look into getting a house now or just them little they're the nice things, you know what I mean? When as a fighter, you know you know after much, you know what I mean? You just you just want your, your family secure, and you want your dreams to be met, which for me is a world title. So, yeah, that was nice. It was it was beautiful actually, and I just got to thank God for for that experience because people can go through, people can live through hundred years and never get an experience a weekend like that. You know, me and Miguel, we absolutely loved it, and I'm lucky not just not just me. I'm lucky to have Derry and Georgie, yeah. only and my dad there with me, and my mum when I come home, and my kids, and my partner, and we just. We just all experienced it together, and my family and my friends who've always supported me from day one. It was nice to it was nice for them to to feel like they, they achieved it too. We all achieved it together, you know. So it was nice for us all. You've answered it in a in a different way to what I thought you'd answer, but you've answered it better again. It that that sensation when people who are detached like me in Ireland, who, who this is my first time to speak to you, was jumping around the sitting room that night, <laughs> even after watching all the fights I've seen. Just to get excited by it. and then to look at it as they waited for the result, to look at Big Tony, to look at Derry, they've been, they could write, they could write a book about it and have done and will write many more about the experiences, but they couldn't contain. So for you to deliver that performance and to come away grounded and saying to yourself, there's better yet to come. A little word for the kids. I mean, you're a champion in their eyes, no matter what you do, but to be able to bring it home and show it to them, how does that feel? That That's unmatchable, it's just amazing, you know, it's just it's so amazing, though, to put the belt, just like to, to have a little photo, just put the picture, I'm smiling as I'm talking. I can <laughs> hear it, yeah. <laughs> it's just, just put put the belt on, on, on your family. It's just so nice, and just just to be the best version of you, the, the, your kids see it in you, you know what I mean? They see, they see this, and it's sad in a way, it's sad in many ways that, this, this is what makes me so happy. I should be this happy just on a regular basis, just to see their little faces. But in their moments, you are so happy and everyone's everyone's happy. And it's just like um, it's like Christmas, do you know what I mean? And, and you put the belt on them. You feel like you are the best version of yourself without getting carried away too much with the ego side of it. You're like the best version of yourself and you see that in you and, and you feel that love from you and you can you can give a lot of love and and you've got then you've got the time for them. It's just just a really nice time. A lot of things come from it. These are the things that people don't see, and this is why I do it. Do you know what I mean? You say you watch it in your house, but you never see the real rewards. What what was in it for me? And it's going home to my family as a winner. Just as a winner, it's nice, you know. They because they're a winner too. They feel like a winner. They feel like a winner. Your dad's a winner. That's how people see them. Your dad was the winner, you know. So it's beautiful. It's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. That's it. 
Part of this journey that I'm on and part of my aim and, and goal, if you like, is to tell stories of beautiful stories like that. Because too many look at the story like they'll see Floyd Mayweather, they'll see the cars, the girls and all that. It's not real. It's not. It doesn't represent this sport truly. What you're saying to me now does, what Sam Eglinton said to me a couple of weeks ago does, straighten the car home to the kids. That's what it is. That's Sean, Sean O'Hagan talks to me regularly about how important it is and how special for him and Josh that story. Christy, Christina McMahon about her story her husband as her coach phenomenal they're the real re- representation of boxing I believe yeah man no, there's, a, there's a moment right now when you look into your loved one's eyes when you've won that when you've, when you've achieved that moment and you've achieved what you said you was going to although that a lot of people said that you wouldn't the relief the, the joy the love when you look in your, your loved one's eyes with, with that win it's just I can't we can't put it into paper. So I'm, I'm going to tell everybody who's striving for success: be careful in what avenue that you go down. If if it's like be careful, you know, because it's not all about money, and and you could get all the money in the world and you still be so lonely. It's it's about the journey. I would say to have somebody to go on this journey with you and have these people, these loved ones around you. And it's it's special. It did. Journey shares is better for me, I, I believe. So just be careful what you what you see and what you're striving for. If it's the right thing for you, I go to the gym every day, and you say we're all gonna die, we're all gonna go on a hole one day anyway. So why why even do anything? I get that, but then there's purpose, and that that that's what it's about for me for purpose. Mate, you're giving me goosebumps here, and that's the story. Christina McMahon, she's an Irish from County Monaghan, she won a world title a few years ago. She told me the story. They've got belts, they've got trophies, they've got cups, they've got everything on the wall, but she said none of them mean anything without each one of them has a story behind it about her and her husband who was her coach and every one of those trophies or, or titles has a story behind it and she said it's the stories that mean more than the glitter itself which is amazing yeah wow it's amazing that yeah sometimes I do look at the belts and I go you, you are a piece of shit you know jazz <laughs> no, no, because like I, I put everything before like I put boxing before my family and everything I put it before absolutely everything boxing is my life and I put everything before my family and, and, and that is the reward sometimes with belts a leather belt with a with a, a metal buckle, and I think sometimes you're a pig. You know what I mean? So, from where I'm standing, and from 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 looking and listening to here, it you have it well under control. It's not gone because it'll never be gone because we're it's it's a human flaw, isn't it? Ego can get a run away with us at times, but when you can keep that in a place it needs to be kept and control it, but still still use it to fuel you at the same time it's, it's, it can be very special and, and I think you're flying at it I think the best way I can round this out because I, as I said I don't want to keep you too much longer we're a couple of weeks out from it's safe to say the biggest opportunity of your career it is in a way because although I fought for the world title the WBA world title against Rigondo years ago this is actually this feels like there's more yeah I just feel like it is maybe maybe there's no way to go after this if, if, if it weren't to be so maybe it's um for me, it's the biggest right now. I have to take this opportunity. I would say the opportunity because it brings with it, I suppose, the focus of the boxing world, the focus of the sporting world, brings the the, the contract and everything that comes with it. But for for you and for me looking at it here now, it feels like it's a culmination, whatever way it goes. It feels like all the pieces are coming together at the right time. You've got Tony in place. You've got Derry. You're back home. You're training with Georgie. You've, you're in a spiritual town place. It's um it it just feels like I suppose and I'm I'm dressing it up as much as I can for this point of view but it just then genuinely does have that that feel to it doesn't it definitely yeah and you can you can use that in your advantage but um I think I think I've just got to keep doing what I've been doing since I was a little child do you know what I mean you can use that in your advantage and a lot of fighters do use that in advantage because they need something to hold on to something to believe in something that do you know what I mean I just believe in myself not be past 
not my future. I'll keep it in the present right now. I'll keep working hard today and just do what I've got to do today. And, and, and the ultimate goal for me is having the ability to truly hand it over to God and say, you do it me as you will. Amazing. That is amazing. And listen, I it's it's impossible to preempt. It's impossible to predict. I don't do that. There's enough podcasts. There's enough red tops and everything out there. All I can do, Jazza, for you, mate, this is, again, when you, you do interviews and you prepare for them as best you can and you hope everything is going, you never know for sure. But, mate, I can honestly say you've, enlight, you've, you've brightened my, not only my day, my week. It's been a little bit down. But you've absolutely brightened the day here for me. And, and it's, I can't wish you anything but the very best. You've played in mind as well, I mean, no, I'll be honest, before the call, I was a bit tired of being on the earth this morning, I'm back in the gym in a minute, I was thinking, oh, it's one of them, it's another phone call, but you've really played in my day up as well with your stories, so thank you so much. Thank you, sir, I look forward to meeting you one day. Almost 200 episodes in. Many, many highs and very few, if any, lows. Always a case of me telling anyone that listen or anybody that asks, that, that one, that one there? That was one of my favourite interviews. And then the next time around, ah, that was one of my favourite ones. Until the next one and the next one and the next one. Thank you, Jazza. Thank you. You know, there's many who detract, denigrate, downplay the sport of boxing, who label it, smear it. Basically, basically don't understand it. They just don't want to understand it. What boxing has done for Jazza Dickens... It's done for endless amounts of people over the years. Is there another sport which ignores your image, your accent or your colour? It ignores your address or what you're wearing, what you're driving, or even how much you have in your pocket, if you have anything in your pocket. Is there a sport that allow a young troubled boy or girl walk in off the street, forget their troubles, leave them outside the door, and allow them to compete, to train, to nourish and grow? That's boxing. That's real boxing. That's what stands it out from every other sport in the world. That's it. And that's that for the first episode of Modus Operandi. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I managed to portray and bring out the attributes and the qualities. Everything that go towards making one of the nicest fellas in boxing. The next episode, it's Ryan Walsh, who will of course be in the opposite corner to Jazza come Wednesday night. We'll hear from Ryan, we'll hear from Liam, we'll hear from his brother Michael, we'll hear from his coach Graham Everett, we'll hear from Eamon again, and we might just have another guest or two for you as well. That's it for me and them until then. Thank you for listening. Please, if you like it, share it, spread the word and get it around. It's time to start growing things a little bit more. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, smile. All's well that ends well. <laughs>